Would you bow with me in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin this morning's message. Lord, thank you for being present among us and letting your spirit be seen through the work that was done in Haiti over this last month, through the fun that was had as we saw uh, that group of men having a blast while they serve you and while they build something that's so critically important, both to the mission but to the people in that area. And we pray that you would always bless the mission works that we do. Um, if they are your calling and if they're according to your purpose, we pray that you would bless them, make your name great, both at Bentonville and throughout the world, uh, through the meager offerings that we can give. And God, we trust and pray that you'll be with us today as we read from Scripture and as we try to talk about a difficult subject. We pray that you would give us insight and wisdom, that we would be called ever further forward kingdom word with you. All of these things we offer to you through the Spirit and through Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, and all who agree say, amen. Okay, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of a teaching series, a team series, that Todd Miller kicked off for us the first week of the month called Leftovers. And the focus of this Leftovers series is that we want to learn how to give first fruits in the relationships that matter most in our lives. And so the first week, Todd talked about parenting and about how moms and dads have this first fruit opportunity, this ministry to disciple children in the home. Last week, John Dias, who was nicknamed Rico Suave, or Mr. Romance, around the office all week, brought to us a message that was about love, and it did have to do with marriage and the first fruit of caring for your spouse, but it also taught us some really important things about loving in every age and stage of our lives. And today we're going to be in a topic that I think is very delicate, and I want to come into this with humility, because there are some parts of today's message that all of us have experienced or will experience. And yet, we can never fully understand the way an experience feels to another person. We don't know what it's like to live in your shoes. And so, our hope and our prayer is that God will give us some discernment this morning as we work through a delicate topic, which is how do we, in the single periods of our lives, when we find ourselves not attached, how do we live with a first fruit mindset. And before I lose many of you who are married, I want you to consider some of these thoughts about singleness. For instance, singleness is just a fact of life. It's all around us. It's something that all of us at least at one time did experience, even if only briefly. But currently in our nation, 44% of Americans are single. So that means almost half of the people that we interact with day in and day out are living a single life. And of course, many of those would be children, but yet it doesn't really matter what age you are. There's some things you need to, to learn about your life stage and the assignment God's given you and how to live the very best in it. So this is the reality for 44% of us. Even more though, 80% of my generation, of the millennial generation, people between 18 and 34 are single. And so I'm married now to Jenna and happily married and thankful for her, but we didn't get married until I was 29. 
And years ago, that would have been very late to be married based on the average age in the United States. And now it's only a little bit late based on the average age of marriage, but it was still somewhat late. And so for many people in my own generation, we're marrying later and later or not at all. And so singleness is just simply a fact of life. It's not a quality of condition. This is the part that is so delicate that I want to present it to you in a way that you can receive without prophesying doom or fear. Singleness is something that many of us will experience. Many of us will experience an unintentional singleness again at some point in our life. And we know that in this country so many marriages end in divorce and we hope for better for all of you. But all marriages that make it through life end at death, the death of a partner. And so many of us will arrive at a time in life when we didn't expect or we weren't prepared to be single again. And we'll have to learn how to live in that new assignment, even if it's undesirable to us. There's a scripture that we're going to start in this morning in which Jesus and his disciples talk about singleness in two different ways. They speak about a kind of singleness that's intentional or desired, and they speak about a kind of singleness that is undesirable or unintentional. And so this comes up in the middle of a conversation that was actually about marriage. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked him, is it true that a man can divorce his wife for any reason, which was not true? And Jesus has the discussion about marriage and divorce with them, leaving them at the point where he said divorce is something that isn't in God's plan except for marital unfaithfulness. And the apostles' response to that teaching by Jesus is this verse, Matthew 19.10. You see, what they heard in that was something frightening to them. They said, Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, where the only reason the divorce is for marital unfaithfulness, if that's the situation, it is better not to marry. And so you can almost imagine these guys stepping to the side while they're listening to Jesus' teaching and they're conferring, right? And the guys are like, Peter, because we know Peter was one of the disciples that was married. And they're like, Peter, did you know this? And he's going, uh-uh, that's not what I was told, right? And the guys come back to Jesus and they're like, look, Jesus, we think because of your teaching, it is better. We ought to start teaching people it's better not to marry because it's way too hard if you do get married. In fact, we're going to start a, a club, a group of us that all make a pact that we're never going to marry. We're calling it the millennials and we're going to just do this thing where we just don't marry, right? And Jesus into this doesn't necessarily want to tell them don't get married, but he does want to address their fear about the marriage and, and their thoughts about singleness. And so Jesus says this, an incredibly difficult teaching. He even says, not everyone will be able to accept this statement. Not everyone can accept it, but only those whom God helps. And in that, there is a promise. If you can accept this teaching of Jesus, God will help you. God will help anyone who can accept this teaching. Jesus says some are born as eunuchs. And not to be crass, but it's important that everyone here understands what Jesus is saying. In their culture, eunuch was a word that would be uh, much more socially acceptable or, or used than it maybe it is now. But people were often castrated for a variety of reasons, sometimes so they could work in a home or a, a harem for an important landowner or something without fear that that guy would mess around with the women. 
But Jesus says some people are even born where they they are not going to be able to procreate. And I think what Jesus might really be implying is there are some people whose station, their situation, their assignment in life is that they won't ever have a romantic partner. They're not going to marry. And he says this, he says, some have been made eunuchs by others. So there's the cultural problem in their time that isn't as prevalent in our society. And then he says this, he says, some castrate themselves for the kingdom of God, literally. But we know that Jesus was speaking in an idiom. He wasn't encouraging people to perform that kind of surgery on themselves. Jesus meant, and that's why the NLT translated it in this way, he says, some will choose not to marry. So some are born where they're not going to have that kind of relationship, and some are, are forced into that by people, and some will choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, again, let anyone who can accept this accept it with God's help. And for us to dig into and understand this conversation between the disciples and Jesus, we're going to go to one of Paul's letters and get some help, and then we're going to come back to it again. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to look for two words from Paul. This entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is addressing a question from the Corinthian church. They wrote to him, based on what they thought they knew about Christianity so far, they wrote to him, it is good for a man not to have sex with a woman, right? And Paul is answering that question. Are Christians more admirable or more honorable if they refrain from romantic relationships or ought they dive in and be married and have a spouse? And so in this chapter, there's two words that address a variety of situations for married, for divorced, for those who are widowed, for those who have never been married. And so verse 17 contains these words, and I invite you to read it with me. Paul wrote this. He said, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Paul says, let each person live what God has assigned and what God has called. What God has apportioned or allotted and what he has called. And these two words are used differently in Paul's letter. Calling is the one and assignment is the other. And here's an example of how he uses these as he's building his case throughout this letter. Paul uses the word calling to speak about things that are internal. He uses the word calling to talk about things that are spiritual. He uses the word calling to talk about things that last. And so... Calling has something to do with a permanent calling from God. Assignment, however, is far more temporary, external, and physical. Assignment is where you are now. And so in this chapter, Paul fleshes out this idea of calling and assignment in these two ways. Uh, Earlier in the letter, he had said, I was called to be an apostle. Uh, You were called to be saints. And in this chapter, he says... Regardless of our relationship status, we are called to live at peace. See, these are callings of God, irrevocable callings, apostleship, sainthood, to be a member of the body of Christ, to live in peace. These never change. But assignment 
can change sometimes. And so he uses these examples in chapter 7, circumcision. But he says, if you came to the church as a Jew, circumcised, don't try to change that and mask it. And if you came as a Gentile, don't try to change and mask that. Be what you were assigned. We know of at least one exception where he counsels someone else to be circumcised for the sake of their testimony. So even though the general rule is don't go out of your way to change your assignment, sometimes assignment will change. Another example uncomfortable to all of us is slavery. But Paul says to the Christian slave, don't, don't do anything ungodly to change your assignment. If you have the opportunity to be freed, then take it by all means. But as a Christian slave, live in the assignment which God has given you now, and don't forget your calling, which is to live for Christ. And then, of course, those are both used as examples to deal with the marital status issues that were at question in chapter 7. And Paul's advice over and over and over is, don't do anything too drastic to try to change your assignment. Of course, if there's opportunity, you can do so. And coming back to Matthew 19, 11, and 12, we want to have those words calling an assignment in our minds as we look at this verse one more time, and then we'll leave it behind for today. When Jesus says to them, not everyone can accept this, but God will help them, and he says some are born this way, some are forced into this condition, and some choose to live this way, what he's saying is that assignment might be random, it might be forced, or it might be chosen. You don't always get to say why you're single. Some of you would say, I wish I would have known that before I got married. But the point is, is that not everything in life that has to do with assignment will always be the way you want or the way you would have chosen had you the choice. And yet, in any case, whether it was forced on you, whether it randomly happened to you, or whether this is the life you're choosing, God grants the calling to live and to really live and to live kingdomward with the kingdom of God in your mind, in the forefront of your actions. And this, even though Jesus doesn't explicitly call it this, is what Paul means when he says calling. Because no matter what you were forced into, no matter what you've chosen, no matter how you were born, God extends this calling to live kingdom word. Amen, church? Come on. Amen with fervor? Amen, church? Amen. Yes. God has called you and I all to this. Here's the strange thing about Paul in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 7. Now we'll move back there and we'll spend the rest of our time in this chapter. Paul seems to be biased towards singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. I think it's fair to say, based on the evidence of these verses, I wish all of you were as I am, a single person. It's good to stay unmarried. It is good for him to remain as he is, unmarried. And she, speaking about a widow, a widow, is happier if she stays as she is. All of these verses in which Paul says, it's better to just stay single, guys. I would think, based on this, Paul would have never been allowed to teach at Harding. I wanted to conclude our message on that point today, but I feel like you deserve a little bit more. I remember walking around the campus and 
you know, I met a friend. I mean, she was a girl, but I didn't even realize the way that this was supposed to work. And we were walking around on the front lawn, and we sat down on a swing. Oops. You would think that people accidentally could, like, become pregnant by cross-pollination just by sitting on a swing. And here I am sitting on the swing, so naive. I drop her off at her dorm. I go back to my dorm. The next morning, I'm in the student center. A flock of girls surrounds me, freshman girls, and they're like, so uh, are you taking her out on another date? And I'm like, who? What? What first date? And they're like, no, come on. Like, you guys sat on a swing. We were talking about it till 1130 last night. And I'm going, is that how it works? <laughs> Apparently, and everybody that ever went to Harding knows this, for the rest of you, you're like, Why? what's with those crazy Cersei people? Apparently, if you sit on the swing three times with somebody, that guarantees, it's like prophecy, that you will be married. And Paul, given this kind of advice, couldn't be on faculty. Telling people to leave there without getting hitched? Can you imagine some of, the, some of your parents, the grandparents, who have pinched your cheek and said, now nah, don't eat that one more slice of cake. You don't want to get chubby yet. You'll never get a man if you're too fat. Can you imagine those women at church that always are trying to kind of give you a number and they're just like, here, you know, I know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody and I think you're going to like her. She's really cute. Can you imagine them listening to Paul preaching right here going, guys, it's better to be single in some instances. They'd throw him right out of church. But nevertheless, this is what he says. Not in all cases. Remember, Paul loves marriage too. Paul is the one who wrote Ephesians 5. He is a big fan of in the beginning, God created the male and female, and the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Paul quotes it, Jesus quotes it. They're all a fan of marriage, but they're also a fan of people, no matter where the people are at in life. Here's an insight into why Paul says this. In this chapter, you'll read some phrases like this. In verse 26, he says, there's a present crisis. In verse 31, he says, this world is passing away. And I want you to read these with me and look for some of these moments in this text where Paul says, there is a crisis right now. It would be better for you to be single because of this crisis. Well, here it is, verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry, this is key, will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Going on, Paul continues, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. It almost sounds like he thinks the world is over. The time is short. There's a present crisis. From now on, listen to this kind of living. Paul says those who have wives should live as if they do not. Do you think that's actually literally what he meant? Christians, just walk away from your wives this morning and pretend you didn't get married? No, he's talking about some other kind of calling, some internal leaning, some kingdom word mindset because of the crisis. And he says, to those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Boy, that goes against America. 
Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. And Paul says, because of the crisis, I would spare you the trouble of marriage if it's not really what you're ready for. This underscores for Paul what we would call an apocalyptic worldview. This apocalyptic, that's just the the Greek word for revelation. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. So this end of world mindset, this kingdom word mindset, this idea that everything that we know is fading and passing away and we shouldn't be leaning too much into the ways of the world, but we should be leaning in to God. And in this setting, Paul says, there's a crisis that's so severe it might be better for some of you not to marry. And then what do we do in the modern church? We say, yeah, crisis averted. Because today I've had enough to eat. There's nobody dragging us off to jail. We've got nice roofs over our head. Doesn't it seem like the crisis is averted? Let's marry him again. Three swings and a ring, baby. Amen? Yeah. Crisis averted. But consider this too. Paul's going to go on to say, I want you to have undivided devotion. We're going to look at this verse in a minute. He says, undivided devotion. And my question to you is this. Is the crisis really averted? Or have we just divided our devotion? Is there a crisis in the world right now? Are there not tens of thousands of people who are hungry in Arkansas every week? Are there not tens of hundreds of thousands of people who are oppressed in slavery or human trafficking around the world every week? Are there not rampant divorces all across our country that create a crisis in homes? Is there not a sense of despair about the direction that our country is going from time to time? Not to say that everything needs to be doom and gloom, but are there not crises in our world right now? I think I just made up a word, crises. Are there not, church? There are. And I remember a couple of different young ladies who through the years here became single mothers. And one of the most amazing things that I've seen in the lives of several of these single mothers is the way that in the middle of what could be a life crisis, they began to turn back to God with kingdom-mindedness bringing that baby to church, being plugged in again, being part of the community, living with real repentance and tenacity for the kingdom of God. Crisis averted, right? And how about a single young lady that many of us know who has decided I can't stand by and watch anymore as children go through foster care and Christians do nothing And so she's adopted a daughter all on her own and she also has children in her home through foster care on a weekly and monthly basis. Church, can you say amen to that? That is living with kingdom-mindedness. Paul writes to them, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. I'm trying to relieve a burden for you here. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. See, this is where the unmarried man can really get plugged into kingdom work. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided, naturally. Same is true of the unmarried or betrothed woman. She's anxious of the things of God, 
how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And so Paul says, you're going to have to choose how you divide your attentions. And for all of us who lived in our 20s for a period of time being single on purpose, this is still a calling. Because you can live the purposeful single life all for me or for the kingdom. You can spend all the money and all the time on yourself or live it for God. You can decide, I really don't want the responsibility of relationship. It's easier to be single. Or you can say, I will pour myself out on the altar of God's good works and the present crisis and I'm going to do something for the kingdom, single, married, or otherwise. Paul says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrain you. I'm not trying to, he literally says, I'm not trying to put a noose around your neck. But so that you can live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. I love the NLT. It says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. I want you to do in your life, through your calling, live out your assignment in whatever way will help you serve the Lord best best. And so the person who marries his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better if they're living with kingdom-mindedness, Paul says about the crisis. And both are still true today. We can all live in a way that is pleasing to God. As we leave this behind today, I want to make sure that we've all impressed these points on our hearts, that being single-minded towards Christ, or as Jesus put it in Matthew 19, living kingdom word is the calling for every one of you and I. Your value as a human being, as a son or daughter of God, does not reside in your assignment, but your calling. You might change that assignment, but church, do not lose the call. Amen, church. Amen. And let all of us turn our minds towards God and not towards merely worldly things. Today we offer you an invitation if we can pray with you about anything. We'll have shepherds at the front and in the back of the room. Please share with us as we stand.